And since we were going to talk about food tonight, the more I prepped, the hungrier I got. And I had four pounds of bacon in the fridge. I decided I was going to make some bacon. So because I'm cruel, I took my convection oven and I put it outside. And I let every dog within a square mile know that I was cooking four pounds <laughs> of bacon. I'm pretty sure they were all at their back door going, but it smelled so good. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Tim. I'm occasionally allowed in this building to lead youth students once in a while. Sometimes they lock me out, sometimes they pull my pass, and once in a while they let me get up here. Their fault, not mine. And I'm going to talk to you tonight about bacon. So before we do, let's pray. Dear God, we're so thankful that in your word we see things that teach us about how you see us. That we see things that tell us how much you love us. That the silly metaphor about bacon can teach us what you've done for us and what you're calling us to do for the people in the world who don't know you. Help us to see that tonight. Help us to understand that tonight. Lord, I just pray that you would give me wisdom as I try to explain what you have shown to me from this scripture. And I ask for clarity and wisdom in your name. Amen. God loves bacon. And while that might be a really bizarre statement, seeing as the Old Testament laws call it unclean, it's a metaphor. God loves bacon. What do I mean by that? Well, if you were here on Sunday, you know from this text that there's two guys who have visions. One guy is hungry. He has a vision about all kinds of food. One guy is praying. He sees an angel. There's this kind of whole story that's woven into place. I'm not going to read the whole text. It's way too long. But this is the basic idea of the story. There's this guy whose name is Cornelius, and he's in charge of a lot of Roman soldiers. He's actually in the city where the seat of Roman power rests in the Judean area. He's, he's over a lot of men. He's very powerful, militarily, politically. And this man has observed the Jews around him. He has heard about God, and he prays, and he gives alms, or he gives money to the poor, because he fears God. He loves God. Even though he doesn't fully understand it, he hasn't converted to Judaism, he hasn't gone through the, the rituals of becoming a Jew, he is seeking God. And while he's praying, an angel appears to him and tells him to go find some guy named Peter. So he does what any good military commander would do. He calls his two best servants, actually two, I think two soldiers, and he sends them out. Go find this guy, Peter. Then we flip over in the story, right? We flip over to Peter, and Peter is doing the same thing. He's praying. And he's hungry. 
It's a really bad combination. Praying when you're hungry is impossible to focus. Very difficult. But he's praying and he's hungry and he has a vision. And he has this vision about this sheet coming down out of heaven, right? And all these animals are in it. And they're all, un- they're, a lot of them are unclean. Animals that just were forbidden to the Jews to eat. And God is very practical. He says, well, Peter, if you're hungry, get up, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no, no, I, I don't eat unclean food, God. If you're trying to test me, I can wait for the clean food. I'm not going to eat this unclean food. And this thing happens three times. And as soon as it happens, who shows up but the messengers from this centurion? This presents Peter with quite a problem. Not only are these Roman soldiers, they're hated by the people of Israel because they're occupying Israel. Not only are they, uh, they'd strike fear into your heart if they showed up at your place. I mean, it's, it's not exactly the people you want to be getting a visit from. They're also Gentiles. I mean, think about it. Let's just be practical here for a second, okay? My aunt did disaster relief all over the world. That was her job. And she said, you know, the American military helps us, the French military helps us, but when we really get hungry, we look for the Italian military. And she said, they bring all the best foods. She said, you went into a chow line in the military uh, tent, the the chow tent in the military of an Italian uh, garrison, I guess, that was stationed out there, and they had like 12 different types of pastas, eight different types of sauce, the dried meat. It was incredible. So when you think about Italy, and you think about Italian food, you think about like, you know, pastrami and mortadella and all the good stuff, pepperoni. I mean, it just, it never ends. Prosciutto, right? It's all the good meats. They're all unclean, by the way, for a Jew. He can't eat any of these like this pile of grease over here. So this presents Peter with a serious problem. Here are men that are, they, they eat differently. They live differently. They don't live clean ceremonially. What's he going to do? And they're like, hey, we're looking for Peter. And now Peter starts to understand the vision a little bit. Hmm, I just had a vision about a lot of unclean food. Some of that might be in my future. So he invites them to stay, they stay with him, and then they go back to their master with Peter and with his friends. And Peter gets there and he finds Cornelius with a whole house full. Cornelius probably did not have a small house. A man of his authority and wealth and stature would have probably had a fairly sizable home. And he has all these people there. And he tells Peter, look, <clears throat> an angel appeared to me. I, I, you have a message for me. What is it? And Peter does what he always did. He launches into the gospel. And he gives the gospel and the Holy Spirit comes down on this group of people and they're saved and they, and they, they are baptized. And then Peter stays with them. I can guarantee you they did not run a kosher kitchen for Peter. He was eating what they ate. He was living with them. They were not living the Jewish life ceremonially. They were not clean. And so you did this on Sunday if you were here. This is the backstory, and I decided not to go through the whole, the whole text because it's super long. I decided instead to ask the question, or to make the statement, I guess I should say, God loves bacon. God loves bacon. What does that mean? Who is bacon? You can go to the next slide. 
He loves everybody. We're bacon. But we don't smell as good, look as good, or taste as good. In this metaphor, we are bacon. We are unclean. You're like, Tim, bacon is awesome. I eat it with my eggs. I eat it with my pancakes. I put it on my donuts. Right, but where does bacon come from? It comes from one of the dirtiest animals on the planet, right? That's us. That's us. We are bacon. We are unfit to be in God's presence. We are sinful. We are wretched. In fact, look around the world out there today. Most of the world is content to stay that way. Most of the world is perfectly content to stay lost in their sin and away from God. Peter didn't quite see it that way, you see. Peter saw himself as a little better than bacon. Peter saw himself as chicken or lamb. But Paul says, no, no. All Jews and all Gentiles, we're all the same. See, we've sinned. Doesn't matter what your cultural heritage is. That doesn't make you clean, you see. You're separated from God. Go to the next slide. We're just dirty. Let's just face it. Mankind is ugly. And just like this guy, content to stay so. Let's face it, we wallow around in our sin just like this bacon wanders around in the mud. We stay separated from God. We're not interested in getting ourselves cleaned up. He's certainly not interested in getting himself cleaned up. And if he knew you were going to turn him into bacon, he really wouldn't care. He's content to be where he is. He's content to be separated from God. Switch the slide. God's love drove him to pursue us. I saw this picture. I happened on it online. How many of you view your salvation like that, if you're saved? And if you're not saved, how many of you view God down in the mud coming after you, pursuing you, loving you? See, left to himself, the pig's going to stay in that mud hole. He's never coming out. He's never leaving. That's where he likes it. That's the only place he's known. Since he was born, he's been there. You leave him there long enough, he'll die there. Unchanged, unclean, unholy. But God loves bacon. And so he pursues us into the mud. He pursued us to the cross, to the grave. I think pictures always help me to visualize it. How do you catch something in the mud? Jump in. Is there any other way to catch something in the mud? Get on top of it? Is there a way to catch something in the mud and stay clean? No. No. 
I mean, come on, this is Seattle, folks. We know it. The rain by, by April, anywhere you walk will be mud. Probably is already now. My first time ever playing golf here in Seattle, I played in the rent, winter and I stood and I was walking and I just stopped walking and all of a sudden I felt water and I looked and my feet were completely under what I thought was the ground because the water had welled up and I had just gone into the ground and I went squish, squish for the next two hours. There's no way to take something out of the mud and stay clean. See, God didn't try to stay clean. He came down to earth. He dove into the mud to get you. Said, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He went into the mud to get you. Why? Because God loves bacon. God loves people. As dirty and messy as we are, God loves you. Go to the next slide. He gave everything to reach us. He put his arms around us and he pulled us free from a situation that we didn't even know we were in. He pulled us free from a mud hole that we thought was nice. He pulled us from a doom and a death that we were happy to endure. We thought it was great. And he reached in and he took us out. See, he did that to Peter. Peter might not have been in the mud, but he was in a stinking fishing boat. He was filthy and dirty. He was undesirable. I don't know how many times he had to wash his clothes to get the stink of fish out of him. Anybody who's ever worked around fish will know it never comes out. You have to like, you just designate a set of clothes, you ruin them, and those are your work clothes. Because the smell never comes out. But more than that, Peter was a sinner. Peter was in the mud. And Jesus pulled him out. And even when Peter denied him at the cross, Jesus pulled him out. And when he fell into the water, Jesus pulled him out. And when he lost his faith, Jesus pulled him up. See, Peter was just as lost as Cornelius. But God saved Peter. Not because he was a Jew. Because God loves bacon. And God was going to take the message to the whole world. And so if we look at it, we go, we know that message, right? The Great Commission, that, that passage. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Well, you've been studying Acts. Peter at Pentecost speaks in Jerusalem. People get saved. Then the disciples are all over Judea. They're witnessing. Church is building up. People are getting saved. Then there's persecution. Stephen dies and Philip goes up to Samaria. Plants churches. People are getting saved. Now it's going to go to the world. The Ethiopian eunuch is going to take the gospel with him down to the African continent. Peter is going to take the gospel to Rome. Not in Rome, but to a Roman commander who loved God. Why? Because God loves bacon. Skip to the next slide. When you love Jesus, God sends you into the mud. That's what's happening here. 
Peter sees this huge vision. He's like, okay, that was a little weird. Then two people come looking for him. Oh, these are Gentiles. Maybe that has something to do with the vision I saw. Then he goes with them, and now he's in a Gentile house. Now I'm really starting to get the picture of the vision I saw. Then they get saved, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Now he understands the vision he saw. You see, God sends you into the mud. Why? Because God loves bacon. God sends you in to do what he did to share the message of the gospel of his victory. Yeah, I'm not breaking down the passage. I'm asking you this question. Are you stuck in the mud or has God saved you? If God has saved you, are you going back into the mud for the one still stuck in the mud? Because God didn't pull you out to make you dress in linen, uh, linen white and walk around all perfect, stay within the four walls of your church, only go to your Christian friend's house. That's not why God went into the mud for you. God went into the mud for you so you would go into the mud for him. That's what he's telling Peter to do here. Go into the mud for me, Peter. It doesn't matter if they're not kosher. It doesn't matter if their customs are different. What matters is that I died for them. What matters is that I loved you enough to go into the mud for you. Now I want you to go into the mud for them. Go to the next slide. Why? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Because God loved us enough to do it for us. And now he's sending us out to do it for him. Go to the next slide. God loves bacon. God loves people. God loves you. God loves the kids in your school hallway. The ones that you bump into every single day and say nothing to. The ones who know you're a Christian and are just waiting for you to open your mouth so they can beat on you for it. You know, Peter didn't have to go. He could have disobeyed. He could have been like, no way, dude. Those are Romans. Number one, I don't like them. They took over my homeland. And number two, they're Gentiles. And number three, I don't really feel like going. I don't want to eat their food. I don't want to live in their customs for a couple days. I don't want to do this. Send somebody else. He could have disobeyed God, certainly. But he didn't. He went. Are there tons of people in your high schools just wallowing in the mud that you pass every day? Who's going to go to them? Who's going to jump into their mud to share the gospel with them? Are you too busy staying white, staying clean, to go in and go get them? To be obedient to God's calling? Go to the next slide. Who is God sending you to reach? 
Are you being obedient to that call? See, because if you're not being obedient to that call, you're disobeying your Father in heaven and you're not following his example. You're not living out the purpose to which you've been called. He went into the mud to save you and he's sending you back into the mud to bring the gospel to those who are still there and you're leaving them there. I'm leaving them there. Every time I miss an opportunity, I'm leaving them there. I'm walking by them and saying, yeah, Lord, you know what? Someone else will have to catch that. I don't want to give the gospel right now. I have a place to be. I, that's uncomfortable. I don't like that person. You know, that group, God, they're kind of unsavable. Kind of just like... Why don't, I tell you what, God, why don't you supernaturally save someone from that group and then send them over back to the group to evangelize them? That would be a much more convenient strategy. Is that your approach? I'll pick a group. Atheist friends. You know, Lord, what, what, if, you just, what if you just supernaturally save one of my atheist friends and then he can go back and be a better witness? I mean, he understands all what they believe and, and he could be a more effective witness than I ever could. They're just going to make fun of me if I go. I'm just going to dishonor you if I go because I'm not going to have the answers and that would just be uncomfortable. You know what? Maybe, maybe make one of them wander in a youth group and they'll hear Pastor Wyatt or, or Austin and they'll get saved and then I won't have to. This is so much better, God. Just so much better. Why aren't you diving into the mud to go get them? That was a pig catching contest, by the way. And that was half mud and half grease. You think any of those pigs wanted to be caught? No. They were kicking and squealing and yelling and running. That's why you saw the big guy with his arms just wrapped around his middle. He got kicked. He got punched. He got clawed. He probably got bit. He was full of mud. He had mud in his mouth and his nose and his ears. There was another picture. He just turned his face. Just mud coming out of everything. Do you care enough about the lost to go in after them like that? To take the abuse, to take the mockery, to take the dishonor for your, your Savior. Because he took the cross for you. When he went into the mud, he took the cross. I'm pointing the finger right back up here, by the way, when I say all of this. It's me too. See, God loves bacon. God loves you. God loves those in the world that are lost. And he's sending us out to go get them. If you know Jesus, you have, this, you have the path to life. Why are you keeping it to yourself? And if you don't have Jesus, then you're still in the mud. You're still in there. We need more drive, more courage to go into the mud and follow Jesus and do what he did. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to have the band come up and they're going to close and then I want you to get into, small, into your small group. Go to your small group. And I want you guys to ponder this one question. 
what group of people in my life am I refusing to go to because I think they're too unreachable, too dirty, too difficult, too far gone? What group of people am I actively shunning from giving the message of the gospel to? Who am I saying, nope, you know what, God, anybody but them? Not a Gentile, please. Anyone but a Gentile. Identify that group. Get in your small groups. Identify that group for yourself. Ask forgiveness for shunning them. And ask God to show you how to reach them. Ask God to drive you into the mud to reach them. Let's pray. Dear God, Lord, we're just convicted by your word. Show us where to go. Show us who to reach out to. Show us what mud puddle to jump into to reach the lost. Give us the courage. Don't let us make excuses, Lord, for our lack of obedience. But Lord, rather, show us where you want us to go and give us the courage and the strength to obey you.